Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast, your source for discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join your host, I Love Kim Possible a Lot, or KP, and Lauren Kizich, the Abbey Roadie, for today's discussion. If you like what you hear, please remember to support by giving a like, a follow, as well as subscribing to the main I Love Kim Possible a Lot channel on YouTube. Spread the word and keep being a part of a great community. This episode is appropriate for all ages. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Animation Communication. Today we have an industry guest, which is super exciting for me because I like people, and especially when I study this industry constantly. So please enjoy the ramblings of me and our guest, Nina Hurton. Really hope I pronounce her last name right, because I can't read. Again, if you like us, please like us on YouTube and the social medias and stuff like that. We're trying to get used to a flow of more uploaded content. So thanks again for your horse support or other support. And please enjoy the recording to see what an editor does in the industry and professional animation versus just, you know, on YouTube. Hi, everyone. Today we're with Nina Helene. Nina, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in the industry? Well, hi, I'm uh, Nina Hirton. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I put my middle name everywhere, so it, it is part of, still part of my identity. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Nina Helene Hirton. I'm professional editor. I work on live action and animated productions. Right now I cut the cartoon Duncanville with Amy Poehler and Ty Burrell, and, among other amazing, talented people. And uh, yeah, you should definitely check out Duncanville if you haven't watched it. We just started our third third season, and it's definitely a super funny season. <laughs> Where is it streaming it, so. for people who are interested? Well, you can check it out on Hulu or Sunday nights on Fox. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, Hulu's a big. Um, they're they're doing ESPN and all that stuff too. So hopefully, people already have it. I know I already have Hulu. Anyway, not that we're plugging Hulu, but you know, it's accessible. <laughs> it's easily accessible for everyone interested. Yes. Okay, so Nina, can you tell us a little bit about your early influences, maybe as a child, and were you interested in animation like from the get-go? Was that something you wanted to, to professionally pursue, or is it more of the editing side, and you know, any favorite characters, those kind of things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have always been interested in animation. My dad was a big animation junkie, and uh, we used to just watch all the stuff. All of the <laughs> There things. used to be all the things. All the things. We uh, There used to be a, a traveling animation festival called Spike and Mike's Animation Festival, and that was like a religious pilgrimage for us every year. And it was mostly independent things, but there were some well-known names in it. I mean, that's where I got introduced to Don Hertzfeld cartoons and Bill Plimpton and um, just so many animators that have since become kind of legend, mm -hmm. you know, in their own space. So yeah, there's that. And I mean, I grew up in San Francisco. Both my parents are musicians. So there's been a lot of music in my life <laughs> as well. But yeah, when I was a kid, I, I really wanted to be an animator. So I just, I drew pictures like crazy and that was always going to be the plan. I think everybody kind of knew that that was where I was headed. Mm -hmm. um, but then... Toy Story came out, and suddenly none of the studios wanted to do 2D drawn animations anymore. Yeah, they're still like that, <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, we're getting a little better, because I think Disney just announced a 2D program with uh, Eric Goldberg and that kind of thing. But in general, like, 2D is yeah. kind of a up and down kind of what what the industry and what the general public is feeling like kind of thing. So, 
Yeah, well, it's been interesting to see kind of hybrids, you know, um, like Arcane was a really great example of, of a hybrid in some ways. Not It's not a lot of 2D actions happening, but I mean, like the effects were very 2D looking and th there's just a lot of 2D elements that they kind of inserted in there, you know, that mm -hmm. gave it a really interesting flavor. So I think that there's some new, interesting looking, visually exciting ways that 2D is coming back, you know? <laughs> so I'm excited to to see where it goes next. Maybe it'll be something that is a little bit more more traditional, but with extra flavors of some new stuff that's happening. Who knows? But, uh, but yeah, in any case, that definitely shifted my attention to <laughs> having to potentially do another career. <laughs> and, but it, that kind of turned into storyboards as like the next place to go for two reasons. Firstly, I was really fortunate that my stepmom knew a friend of a friend of a friend or some degree of separation, some uh, board artist that worked at Pixar. Oh, that's, that's a great connection. Yeah. And, and so we got to tour Pixar. They were doing Monsters, Inc. at the time. Okay. And the board artist, he pitched me a scene. It was the Yeti scene with the, the yellow snow. And I just thought it was so cool. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll be a board artist. Do, instead, do you like brag to people? It's <laughs> like, oh, I saw that scene before you did kind of. Like I would, I oh, would yeah, use it's like that. Totally number one. <laughs> that's totally my one of my number one hum, like brag stories for sure. So, so that inspired me, and then I was also super inspired by listening to the director commentary on Ridley Scott's Alien mm -hmm. because him trying to sell that movie is is a legend in and of itself. So yeah, it, so I was listening to Ridley Scott talking about trying to greenlight Alien, and he was having a hell of a time. Every single person said no, and he had spent like a long time doing it, just months or years, trying to get somebody to fund this movie. And nobody had any vision for it. And if you read the script, you can kind of understand why. Because the first, <laughs> I'm not even kidding, the first four or five pages is literally just exterior, mm -hmm. dark. <laughs> You're in space. It's quiet. Scene two, interior, dark. Or machine room, dark. Good, good, it's good quiet. atmosphere. Movie. You hear the buzzing of, <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, it. I... I can imagine that, you know, a, a studio executive that is not necessarily in charge of the visuals, but is in charge of the money, is having trouble visualizing how this piece could sell. So <laughs> um, anyway, his answer, of course, well, Ridley Scott's answer to this was to draw storyboards. And man, those storyboards are gorgeous. I mean, they're just, they're like full graphic novel, colored, shaded, everything. I mean, it, they're beautiful. So that was super inspiring. And so... See, hearing him talk about that and and getting my hands on some of those boards to look at them around the same time that I got <laughs> pitched a scene by a board artist at uh, Pixar was just like, oh, okay, storyboards is great. Now I it's not just animation. I can also go into live action. Amazing. But along the way, I mean, I made lots of animations for myself. I did a lot of like book reports that were animations because my teachers were very nice I guess. Cool, I, don't I guess I don't know I don't know why they either I buttered them up enough to like let them let me make animated book reports instead of essays <laughs> written essays but I still question why they why they passed me I mean I really <laughs> I didn't do any any academic work I was just drawing my entire time in high school but in any case it 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 paid off I mean one of my animated book reports got into the local film festival in Mill Valley oh, nice. and and then later, a documentary that had kind of Monty Python-style animations that I did won a an honorable mention NAFTA Student Emmy. So 
at that point I was like, all right, I'm going into film. This is what's happening. It's official. <laughs> and um, I'll figure out the animation. But, you know, I'm just my love of animation has always made it so that I've found some way to integrate it into most projects that I'm involved with, with some exception. But it's uh, it's just been a running theme throughout my life and my career really since the beginning. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I'm I'm going I'm actually going back to art school and I I kind of pity the the kids who are just like I'm going to be a 2D animator because that's the only thing I've pictured and I'm just like yes but like you know I don't know if you're, are you going to be able to get a job or you're going to have to do independent stuff forever so it's good that you already had a good grounding of like I need to make sure I market myself to the appropriate you know zeitgeist of the industry too like at such an early age because it's. It's hard when, you know, like, oh, I finished college, you know, I got, you know, my 2D animation degree or whatever, and then they're just like, oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, these days in particular, with the with the rate at which technology changes, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, a lot of my job, for example, as an editor used to be <laughs> timing individual images that be given to me, you know, JPEGs or PSDs or anything like that mm-hmm. from the storyboard team. These days with Storyboard Pro, a lot of board artists are timing stuff themselves. So it's interesting how the lines have been blurred a lot and the board artists are kind of doing more than they need to, <laughs> you know? So it, it's, in some ways it's a bone of contention, but in other ways it, it's an interesting development because, I mean, as an independent creator myself, I love the ability of the one-stop shop. Like, I love that idea. That's super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, as an editor, as a, as a professional in the industry, I'm also a little bit afraid for my job. <laughs> <laughs> so... So there, there's a little bit of a balance there. You know, it, I don't want to be the, the South Park character in the background going, dirk, dirk, our job. but at the same time, it's like, that's kind of what's happening. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, um, it's, it sounds like, too, you already have a good, you know, fundamental idea of drawing and, you know, composition and stuff like that. So it's not like you're just like, I know how to press buttons on the, on the editing machine. And, you know, that's that's my skill set. Woo. So, you know, if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> Well, editing really is more about pacing and timing and, and overall story mm-hmm. and clarity to the people that are watching it. So it's it's a little bit less about, I mean, in animation, timing is certainly part of the picture. But mm-hmm. really, I mean, the editor, no matter what the project is, animated, live action or otherwise, your job really is to is to be the objective viewer. You know, you're the last person that has full control over what the the project of, uh, you know, the TV show or the movie is going to say. And something that works great on a script doesn't necessarily work great once it's shot or once it's animated. So mm-hmm. it's kind of up to me to be able to sep- to be that separate eye because directors, especially directors, <laughs> and, and particularly in animation, they can really get too close to their work and start losing sight of who the work is for. You know, right. it's... It's one thing to make a project for yourself. And I mean, I'm totally guilty of that. I'm 100% egomaniac with my own projects. But <laughs> it's it's another thing once you start getting into really big productions with lots of people that all have skills that can contribute really for the better, mm-hmm. if you think about it. And that's, and that's another reason why I really, really like film and animation. It is ultimately a very creative art form and a very collaborative art form and... I personally feel like you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not using the people around you at your advantage. I mean, there is such a thing as too many cooks in the kitchen, so be aware of who <laughs> who, who you're pulling your advice from. But at the same time, I mean, the key roles, the writer, the director, and the editor, those, those are technically the key creative head roles. Mm-hmm. So, And those are the people that are going to 
write the story and then rewrite the story and then finalize the rewrite of the story to make sure that it is in the best shape that it could possibly be. So whenever I'm sitting down to edit something, be it an animatic or a live action film or a documentary or even a commercial or a promo film for Kickstarter, I have to kind of remove myself and put myself in the position of the target audience. You know, is this show for kids? Like, do I need to put on my mom hat and pretend that I'm my daughter and watch this show and be like, oh, that's so funny, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Is that something realistic that that character would do? Like, and would I? Am I going to get that same? Am I going to be able to relate to that character as as an eight year old? You know, or so I I have to be able to remove myself. I have to watch it very objectively and be able to say, you know what, this piece of the story isn't clear, and then flag it, you know, to the director, and then the director is the one that decides how he wants to handle it. But but ultimately, my job is is to edit, just like in book publishing, you know, the editor will sit there and make sure that all the I's have dots on them and all the T's have dots on them and punctuation is correct, you know, where it makes sense to, etc. But ultimately, our job is to kind of make sure that it's all clear. Like, what's what's going on? Do we understand this? Is it is it actually entertaining? Is it hitting those points? Are you feeling the feelings that clearly the writer and, and the director wanted to express in this moment, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and... Nine times out of ten, they're a little too close to it to be able to see it, especially by the time it comes into my hands. So, <laughs> so I mean, that's that's really the job. There's a lot of technical stuff about it, too. I mean, obviously, especially with animation, tends to be more technically minded than a live action show. But, but really, I mean, the point one of my job description is look at the project with an objective eye, with a big picture, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, since you spoke of Alien and just kind of um, creators' passion about their projects, I just want to throw in, like, too, that I think, you know, when you have, as a creator, creator person, when you have a project that has been living in your head for, like, you know, a year or, like, ten years or whatever like that, things that seem obvious to you as far as, you know, story or pacing that, you know, you played over and over in your head, like... I think you need someone like a third party just to look down and be like, okay, but is that obvious to everyone? Or is that just something you've kind of accepted because you know the story really well? Those, those kind of aspects right. too. Exactly. Yeah. That, that was a, that was a good, it was a good answer. Good, good detail. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we'll backtrack a little bit. So for maybe people who don't know the process pretty well. So like what we, like, what is the process as far as, like what? How far during the pipeline do you get your material? Like, are you you mentioned storyboards? Are you editing storyboards as well as editing, you know, final, you know, finished animation and finished shots for episodes, that kind of thing? So, what does the day to day look like to you? Mm hmm. Well, every show is a little bit different. On Duncanville, I get the pleasure of having ownership over the the edit of the episode all the way from the animatic storyboards all the way to the end delivery so which is not very typical i think for tv series mm -hmm. um but it does happen so that's cool so on duncanville for example what happens is the writers will write a script for the episode the actors will have a table read and then they'll go record the whole episode all the dialogue that gets recorded the showrunners and the dialogue editor will work together to create a radio play and that radio play is given to the storyboard artists or the storyboard team, who's led by the director of the episode director. And he or she will kind of thumb out what, you know, they think the shots need to be and do key poses and basically kind of do a, a rough pass of everything and then send it off to their board artist who will do all the details and really flesh it out. And depending on the show, sometimes it requires a lot of 
a lot of boards. I mean, you really want to make it clear to the animators kind of what needs to happen, you know? So what they'll do is they'll send me those, all the drawings that they do. On Duncanville, we're working in Storyboard Pro, so I get everything mostly timed, but it might not be super tight, but at least it's generally in the ballpark. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then once it comes to me, I start marrying everything together. So I'll marry all the individual dialogue clips. I'll swap stuff out if something gets rewritten or needs to be reread or it, all sorts of things happen, especially over the pandemic. The, the audio oh, yeah, I, issues I bet. we were <laughs> was just like a thing, but we got through it. <laughs> so yeah, our dialogue an editor, Angie, she's cool. She will put it all together. She does a great radio play for everybody, gets us in a good position. And then I'll take everything from her and then, yeah, put it all, make it all work together. I'll do a complicated sound bed or a not so complicated sound bed, depending on what the needs of the show are and try and get it as watchable as possible. And I mean, the animatics on Duncanville at least are very, are pretty detailed, I would say. So it's, it, it really does kind of feel like you're watching. And sometimes you forget that you're watching an anima an animatic that's not fully animated because it, we, we really do get into the nitty gritty that props to those board teams, man. That <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So once the animatic has gone through a couple rounds of revisions and the showrunner's happy, the network's happy, it gets shipped off to the animation team, and our animation team is in Korea. We use a couple of them, but they spend a couple months animating things while we work on animatics for the rest of the episodes for the season. Mm -hmm. And finally, when it's time for post, the animation team sends us the show. They'll send us the whole show in one big batch. And then, then it's up to me and my assistant to put it all together again. <laughs> so we'll try and sort of match the... We'll match the animatic as closely as we can, but... A lot of things get changed mm -hmm. with the, on our particular show, we still use timers, for example, which is kind of an arcane profession these days, but, but it's an, it's a really cool little in-between stage from the final locked animatic and animation where the timers will basically go in and, and talk about details and they might add frames to, you know, if they think that maybe I didn't put enough frames for a particular action to happen, for example, they'll pad it. They're the ones that make all the super crazy details about like, oh, this incidental in the back, it needs to be talking from this frame to this frame. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, okay, now this one's going to blink. <laughs> you know, so they're doing all those super fine details, which sometimes can change the animation based from what the animatic was. So, so I kind of have to conform all that and then get it once again, try and get it into a watchable shape. Mm -hmm. So once that happens, I'll sit down with the series director and then we'll have an edit together and make sure that he's happy with everything before we show it to the showrunners. And then that's when the big rewrites and notes start happening for color. So, and at that point, yeah, we rewrite, record, re-record things that we need to, reanimate things, re do retakes where we need to. Sometimes new boards are, are made depending on how complicated the rewrites are. And somehow in the end, we get... <laughs> We get a nice tight show that's cut down to time. Then it's shipped off to the sound people in the, the online editor, and then it is put right onto TV. <laughs> we, there's pretty much no sitting around and waiting. <laughs> Especially this season that we've our schedule got accelerated, so we're getting stuff done super fast oh, this year. It's um, it's crazy. Oh yeah, I I, I bet <laughs> I've I've heard I've heard horror stories about you know production schedules in general. Well, you answered uh, one of my follow-up questions about Foley allergists in, in TV, because I know I d definitely know Feature has their own department for those kind of things, but what are some of the most rewarding parts of the job, and then what are some of the hardest parts? Well, the hardest parts are are keeping up with the schedules, for sure. You know, they a lot of people don't really understand what 
my job is or what kind of time it entails to do it well, mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll say. So So a lot of times productions will just, you know, they just won't schedule enough time or, you know, it's, but that's kind of, it's like that on anything, really. It, there's never enough time, I find, for anything. Oh, yeah. I imagine <laughs> a lot of people who, who don't know um, how these, you know, how the, the, the process works. It's just like, we want more because we're trying to either, you know, make sure everything is aired or done, you know, before, before, you know, airing season and that kind of thing. Or, you know, if you're working on a pilot, you know, God forbid it's not around during pilot season. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of obstacles or a lot of like, you know, just general interference um, with everything in production. So. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, there's that. And then the uh, technology is, again, the double-edged sword of technology, which is that, oh, well, this is so easy because you can do this, this, and this in the, in the description of this software. But, you know, it, you still have to like, <laughs> it's not just, the software doesn't allow me to push the button called edit and then have it all assembled in five seconds. It doesn't work that way. Like I have to be able to line stuff up and put it all in the right order. Then I have to play it back and make sure that it's all paced out. Like that's, it takes time and I have to have time to think, mm -hmm. you know, and the, it's the thinking time that, that keeps getting taken away <laughs> from me in production schedules. But honestly, you know, it, it's just kind of part of the working in this industry. And I mean, the upside is I really like high pressure, so I'm I'm really good under crazy schedules. Mm -hmm. So as much as I would love to have that extra day to really like milk it, you know, and get a really solid edit that I feel really good about, it still gets done. I still have a good time. The most exciting part of the job for me, honestly, is just being able to do the job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've worked so hard for my entire career to, to get to a point where I'm I'm this is where I'm making enough money to like live mm -hmm. normally, you know, <laughs> and that is so hard in this industry. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. It really is. And it's so much hustle and there's so much rejection and you know, the, the success does not come easy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, I imagine too, but I guess, you know, at the same time, you know, I think, I think a lot of people, you know, especially just the, the average Joe take it for granted and then don't realize like, you know, a lot of times, you know, and you mentioned animatics, a lot of times like animatics will be like basically keyframes for animation and, you know, no one will see it oh, yeah. because, you know, no one usually sees the, the storyboards unless, you know, your studio is cool unless you release them after the, um, the episode airs and that kind of thing and. Ooh, yeah. Lots of power for for people who want to make shows, I guess, because all these people just are just happy to be there, for the most part. <laughs> yeah, well, it's you know, it all comes down to what what do you want out of your career? Mm -hmm. You know, do you want to just be working on fun things? That's that's kind of where I'm at at this point. I just want to work on fun stuff that other people will enjoy mm -hmm. and get paid for it. <laughs> like I'm cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody's cool with that. You know, some people really want want more out of it. The way I see it. I mean, you know, Duncanville and editing jobs that I get that aren't my projects. Those those aren't my projects. Mm -hmm. Those are those are kind of like bill pay things. And but I mean, there's that's that doesn't mean that they're not fun still. But you know, when I need to get my ego fix in, then that's when I do my own projects. Like I get that done on the side. You know, so I don't. And I'm always making time for my own projects. That's to me, I think maybe what keeps me so level-headed at the projects that aren't my projects <laughs> is that I, I still make sure that I maintain that outlet so that it doesn't like explode all over <laughs> a project that it's not warranted. Oh, right, you know? right. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you just you know i mean i think there's a difference in tone and as far as just like everything that gets thrown out there and a lot of times like you're right a lot of people want more either ambitious or more you know artsy artsy film house kind of projects to work on to feel right grab you know either gravitated or fulfilled or whatever so you know to have some i'm sure it's it's a it's a skill for you to just be like oh i just want you know fun things and you know i just want you know comedy's fine as long as you know as long as I have a good team to work with, which, you know, it sounds like you have a great team. So that's, it's good. Yeah. No, Duncanville team is awesome. They're a well-oiled machine. And I mean, the fact that we've now done two seasons <laughs> remotely is, is amazing to me. <laughs> I'm really blown away by how efficiently we did it. And, and everybody's still got a good attitude, you know, that's really cool. Oh yeah. And, and very fortunate. I'm, gl- I'm glad you have a good, you know, a good viewpoint for that. Cause I imagine you're, you, as far as a lot of the other, you know, people, you know, the director and stuff like that are getting a lot of raw files that are just like, Oh, send me this format or, you know, now I got to convert it. And you know, all that kind of technical babble. Oh, so much technical babble. So much. <laughs> I'm swimming in techno babble. <laughs> Um, so I think we covered that. So my last question before we wrap is what are, you know, we talked about the, how the industry is changing a lot and, you know, technology and stuff like that for, so for at this current moment, what advice would you give someone who wants to, to be a professional editor and, you know, animation film or that kind of vibe? Ah, well, if you want to get into editing animation specifically, then I really think that you can give yourself an edge by actually studying animation. Mm-hmm. You know, go go get the the animator's workbook, go get a book on timing, go understand what all those principles are and understand physics about it. I mean, of course you need to know the software and all that, but really your tools are kind of meaningless if you don't understand what you're doing with them. So, so I mean, if you are genuinely interested in animation timing or like animatics, for example, then, which is really where the heavy duty creative stuff happens, I think, in animation editorial, or at least story-driven stuff, then understanding the fundamentals of timing and animation are really going to give you an edge, mm-hmm. for sure. And then as far as getting your foot in the door, just edit like crazy. Edit everything. Edit everything that comes at you. It doesn't matter if it's paid. Edit doesn't matter if it's, if it's for free. I mean, I've learned probably more from the stuff that I didn't get paid for than the stuff that I did get paid for over the course of my life and it will all inform your work Mm -hmm. you know and uh, the other part of that is that if you're not ready for the opportunity when it finally presents itself then that's a missed opportunity (laughs) (laughs) so you know it like you kind of got to be ready especially Hollywood I've learned is is very much a spur of the moment kind of a place Mm -hmm. um, which I thrive on I love that but it is definitely unlike any other place I've lived. And I've lived in quite a few cities now. <laughs> so yeah, if you're not like ready to work at the drop of a hat, then, or, or if you don't have a portfolio to show, or if your resume is not up to date, or, you know, just don't, you, you got to keep on top of all your stuff mm-hmm. and understand that this hustle is a real hustle. It's, um, the film industry is no joke when it comes to hustling and it will reward the hustlers as long as you're willing to hustle. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just keep doing it, you know, find your passion. And if it means specializing in one particular kind of editing, like, I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for some editors to only do animatics, for example, mm-hmm. or only do the color. I personally love doing both. I'm just an animation junkie. I mean, I would probably even animate things if they let me. So <laughs> it's, you know, I, I I'm unique in that sense, but depending on, you know, depending on what 
what you really want to do, maybe you have to find it, you know, but you're not going to find out what you're really interested in unless you try it all. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, edit, just keep editing, <laughs> edit everything and just learn as much as you possibly can. Yeah. There's so many uh, free editing programs out there too these days that, you know, I know Adobe is king, but I think that hopefully is, you know, calming down a little bit as studios are just like, wait, we can use this program and we don't have to play a monthly subscription free to the end of time. And that saves us money and that kind of, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the more software you know, the more desirable you will be because you'll just be able to flip between studio and studio and studio. You never really know what they're going to ask you to work yeah. on. Yeah. You know, it's the two majors are Avid and Premiere. That's what I get asked to work on the most. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I do get requests for Final Cut X. I get requests for Resolve. Fortunately, again, a, the tool is, is a tool. So as long as you understand why you're using your tools and the way that you're using mm -hmm. them, it's just a matter of learning what shortcut does what. <laughs> You know, so really, if you just learn one program for the sake of learning all the, the foundational editing things, then it'll really, it'll be really easy to translate that into any other software. Because again, it's not about which tool you use. It's about how you're using it. Mm -hmm. And this is a technical question, but like for Avid, is it still the way it has been in the past where you can kind of streamline with other editors as far as the, the production process? Or is that the, the biggest advantage for Avid? Yeah, Avid really is great when it comes to talking to other programs. So if you're working on a really big production where I have to send everything to, you know, the sound people, for example, they do the mix, they do the all the sound effects and all that and the music edit and, you know, the composer. Being able to send my assets to them is a lot easier with Avid because they're all using other Avid project products like Pro Tools, for example. Mm -hmm. So they just talk to each other a lot nicer than Premiere does. <laughs> Premiere's, Premiere's outputs, for whatever reason, just... Don't don't talk nicely with other programs, you know, if they're using an Adobe workflow, that's different. Or if you're doing something that's super small and low budget, you know, like a very small crew or even a one person crew, then Adobe's great because it's all connected to itself. Mm -hmm. Really, you know, you can flip back and forth between After Effects with no issues. It's super <laughs> dynamic and it's great. I use that like crazy. So that's it all kind of comes down to, you know, what what is the project? What's the best use what's the best tool for this particular project well on a big project that you're going to be doing final deliveries to major studios that are all all have these very established workflows then avid's probably the best thing to use because it'll just be very seamless mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah man knowing knowing as much as you possibly can and as far as software goes will definitely help yeah yeah i i i bet just from what you described too, and that way, you know, you can just jump into whatever pool that you need to. But yeah, I just wanted to touch on, on one point before we can we can promote you a little bit more. I thought it was interesting that you said about, you know, opportunities in film festivals and that kind of thing when you were a child. And I always try to tell people that I think there's a weird disillusion between like artists working for free on, on projects and that kind of thing, especially over the internet. And um, mm -hmm. I try to advocate people if, you know if they're open to 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 do those kind of things because like you said they definitely can learn something it's just a matter of communication and making sure that whoever's running these projects because there's a lot of fan projects out there that run on you know volunteer power and all that kind of stuff yeah um you know to have clear communications with the the director whoever's running the projects not necessarily mine projects or anything like that but you know i i feel bad for kids who don't have access to you know private schools or you know maybe the right 
you know, the right schools to get them in the right place, you know, especially, I mean, it's, it's diversified a little bit since COVID, but a lot of it's like, who you know, and where you are as far as, you know, industry kind of things. So I think it's really healthy for people just to kind of putting themselves out there as far as, you know, whatever they're passionate about or what's available, as long as they're communicating their boundaries and they feel comfortable with whoever's running the project. So it's interesting to see how these like fan reanimation, stuff like that. I know the, the SpongeBob reanimate just release of this recording uh relatively recently so i don't know i just that was my two cents that i wanted to throw in because it was interesting to hear you say that yeah no that it's it's definitely a contentious issue among professionals oh yeah i bet yeah <laughs> because it, i mean by all means you have to protect yourself i mean there are people that will exploit you 100 percent. so you know don't take my advice naively and just go work for for free mm-hmm. for for somebody huge just because of a name or they asked you know you, that's you know? that's not a good idea um, yeah exactly just you know make sure that you're working on projects that are meaningful to you and i mean worth is relative you know it's going to be relative to where you live and what your expenses are it's going to be relative to your time availability you know if you have a bunch of kids at home and you're spending most of your day doing stuff with them then you're you're going to need something like you're not going to be able to devote as much time mm-hmm. to a free project you know and so i mean you gotta do what you gotta do and you definitely need to protect yourself but at the same token you can't just like blanket say i will never work for free <laughs> because that's you're not going to go anywhere it, it's that's just not the nature of creative projects and and again the the things that i've learned on the projects that were super low budget straight out of school you know kids <laughs> trying to make their first film it, like i love working on that stuff because i i can see what what the kids are doing, number one, you know, I mean, I'm not that old. I like to say that I'm a little lady, but I'm not really that old, but I'm old enough that <laughs> I'm old enough that I need to kind of pay attention to what all the kids are doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And <laughs> so, and it also kind of forces me to, to be extra creative because, you know, they don't have budgets to go reshoot things. They don't have budgets to re reanimate things. So, you know, if I can kind of guide them in the right way, then I will also be using my creative brain to get it into a good a good place, mm-hmm. you know, and be like, all right, well, how can I make this the best that it could possibly be, even if it's not great? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't have done it if I didn't take those jobs. So I think it's, yeah. it sounds like, yeah, it's all about finding the flow in this. And especially too, when you're the outlier of those kind of, not the outlier, but you know, you're not, you're not in the creative mesh mind. You're just kind of the person, you know, kind of making coherent picture. You can see you know, issues that, you know, might have not been noticed until, you know, the editing stage or the post-production stage or same thing, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, um, where can people find you if they want to follow up on you directly? Do you have a social media account that you post your personal projects or anything like that? Yeah, people are totally welcome to bug me on Instagram. You can find me at at D-E-R-O-S-N-E-C. It's the word censored backwards. Oh, that's cute. But uh, yeah, you can you can find me there. Totally happy to answer more questions about editing or animation or anything like that. And then yeah, definitely check out Duncanville. <laughs> it's a good show. I was gonna say like, oh, we can we can check up the Prince too, but that didn't get renewed. So <laughs> yes, sadly, sadly the Prince did not get renewed. That's a very salty one. So if you're into very crude humor, oh, yeah. then you will also enjoy the Prince. But. <laughs> Despite that not getting another show, uh, another season, rather, that was a fun show to work on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I watched a couple episodes. It it seemed cute. I mean, if you're okay with, you know, the royal family and caricatures and all that kind of stuff, which I think is very... (laughs) There's definitely some caveats with that. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, 
Are... Not maybe not appropriate for kids, for example, is maybe one <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'd throw out there. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I love cartoons. I I advocate watching as many cartoons as possible. That's so, that's, that's, good. that's good advice on the <laughs> on the cartoon show. All right, thank you so much for your time and. You know, for people listening, go go stalk her appropriately on social media. And thanks for listening to Animation Communication. Woo! So. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. We are really hoping this show makes a difference in how people view animation and media, as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like or want to join the animation or media industry. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe and rate those five stars, as well as tell your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our main YouTube channel, I Love Kim Possible A Lot, and turn those notifications on. My name is Scribbler, and you have been listening to Animation Communication. <laughs>